Hello, everyone, and welcome to Carbide Content. I'm David from Contraption Collection. I'm Dalen from MachineWise. And I'm John from Shyaxis. And uh, for this 4th of July episode, it seems like Grant's missing, as a tradition with every other holiday. <laughs> uh, so what do you guys want to talk about? Well, you have a lot of exciting Haas updates. I I do. I... Uh, I this was a good Haas week. I feel like some other weeks it's like I was just kind of still figuring things out or uh-huh. or like wasn't doing anything that challenging. Uh, but this week I made uh, I started making blades and I made a very complicated blade fixture based on an idea that Dalen had done where I make a block. Or I make eight blocks to hold blades at an angle, and I like make one op in a vise, then I make a pallet that tightly fits the block, and I put the blocks in upside down, then I surface an angle into the blocks, um, and then I flip them back over again, and I'm holding them with pit bulls, and then uh, when they're flipped over to the way they should be, I can then... Uh, now things are at the correct angle, but then I can add a screw holes and counter bore so that I can screw it down permanently instead of using the pit bulls. And it came out super nice. Um, eventually I'll show stuff, but I'm still finishing up a video. So I don't know. makes me not want to post things to Instagram that spoil things. Um, but it just came out super nice and it's like, it's hard to tell or explain, you know, cause like, again, like I don't think I made things that came out, badly on the Tormach, but it just does feel like everything's like smoother and and like of course faster but like um just more predictable i guess Uh um and so it was just like a really good experience making these different fixtures and and uh going through it yep um i wanted to talk to you guys about so now i have this fixture where the blades are at an angle and i'm kind of having a little trouble actually getting a good surface finish. I've only done like four blades. And so now I can just cut the bevel flat, which is awesome. Uh, so, you know, it's less complicated for a surface finish than, uh, if I was doing surfacing. Um, but I do think there is like, uh, I, 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 I don't know for sure since I've done so few, but I think chatter, maybe is a problem. Like I think if the blade has some bend in it, it is kind of lifting in the middle, Uh you know? And so, um, Lucas said I could actually like put magnets underneath the blades. And he said, that's helped him a lot. That'd be cool for sure. Um, so it might be tricky to take things apart and, uh, try to do that, but I, I probably could do that. Um, and like Grant has, you know, put tons of tabs on his blades and that probably would help too. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I, the first thing I tried was just like a regular, you know, four flute end mill, square end mill, cut it. Um, and uh, left 10 thou and then took a second pass. Um, so I was taking like pretty small step overs and then a little bit bigger step overs, but only 10 thou deep for the finish pass. And it looked good, but there was like a couple gouges. Mm-hmm. And so 
Um, I did another test, but where I, or actually, I think I left five thou that time, and then the second test I left ten thou, and there were gouges in a different, like opposite spot, and so I was like, "Oh, that's weird." And so then, so today I tried instead of a quarter inch end mill, I went to a half inch, and I think that did worse. I think I should have thought more about speeds and feeds because it looked pretty rough, and it still had a couple gouges in a couple weird spots. Um, and then I tried using an eight flute end mill that I'd used before hard milling, but I think it was taking way too big of passes. So it clogged up and looks awful. Um, so I guess I'll go back to the regular end mill and quarter inch. Um, but I'm not sure the best recipe for a nice floor finish, especially if possible things are flexing or something. I would... I would drop the tool size a little bit, maybe go to an eighth inch, run much smaller width of cuts and a smaller depth of cut, like a tooth out finish pass, and then just run it faster. I thought I thought about the possibility of trying the, the smaller because I did the... That's another thing I tried is um, uh, for the first operation, not on the angled fixture, on the back of the blades, I actually hollowed out a 5,000 deep pocket because mm -hmm. scissor blades usually kind of have a hollow on the side that looks flat. They have a very, very shallow hollow. Mm -hmm. And um, for a long time, I was like really stressed out. Like, oh, how am I going to make this like giant radius, super shallow, barely noticeable hollow? And how am I going to make sure I'm actually making it accurate and can make fixtures for it? And so I was like, you know, screw it. Let's just see if it helps by just making... You know, and talking to Grace Horn, the scissor maker, helped me realize like it doesn't need to be this perfect shape or anything. Right. Um, it's just a result of machines are using. So I was like, okay, let's just make something that's like shallow and flat, so that fixturing's easy, but I can still try it and see how much difference it makes. Um, and so to make that little five thou um, pocket, I I used an eighth inch end mill, and I feel like I did get a really good surface finish. Are you running a bullnose? Uh, I think it has like 10 thou radius. Yeah, that's good. I thought um, about going up bigger. I wouldn't go too, too large on the radius. I mean, 10 to like between 10 and 30 thou should be fine. What kind of end mill is it? It's from Helical. It's just like the regular four fluid end mill for steel. Yeah, I'd recommend trying out a, a hard milling specific end mill and then just doing shallower width of cuts and shallower depth of cuts for the finish running it faster. Oh, so this is soft. Uh, this is uh they, they haven't been heat treated yet. Oh, it's soft. Got it. Yeah. I, mm. I could, uh, I could definitely try hard milling in the future, but you might I'm have not... better luck with it hard. Actually. Maybe it might flex around less or I could do like a finish pass when it's hard. But yep. I don't. Just, I don't really want to rough weigh all the material no, yeah. hard. If it's soft, I mean, I would. Yeah, again, just shallower width of cut and more feed. Do you think more feed just for the roughing, or do you think it will make a nicer finish? Finish well, if more so for cycle time, if you're going to crank down your your width of cut, but I mean, also to accommodate for for chip thinning. Yeah, I'm just trying to make sure I uh, don't get these random gouges. Yeah, if you have a much... like like a couple of them are like definitely gouges, but then a couple of them it's like 
it's like a little step and I can't tell what's going on. Right. Yeah. I mean, you'll avoid, it'll help avoid the gouging and any stepping. If you do a much shallower width of cut and a shallower depth of cut, just put less force into the part. Yeah. Like, I don't know. And do you ever do spring passes for floor finish? I don't think I've done a spring pass for a floor finish, honestly. Honestly, the few thou. I wonder what that would do, but I feel like it would probably just ruin the tool. Or you might just you might just run into like you might run into not really chip dragging, but you might run into like inconsistent contact on the part, and then have weird drag lines every so often. That's another thing because I've been filming. I've only tried it with air. and I wonder what the results would look like if I use coolant. Have you tried MQL yet? That's sorry. That's what I mean by air. Oh, oh okay, cool. Um, yeah. So, uh, although it's it's weird. Like I I feel like I'm not sure. You know, I've like adjusted it to do a certain amount of oil, and I'm worried if like I'm gonna have to kind of open it up and then dial it back again because I. I'm a little worried maybe it's not spraying oil, but they say like, cause you can't see it. And they say like, if you can actually see the mist, you're doing way too much oil. If um, you put your finger in front of it, does your finger start to get oily? I didn't do that today, but I, I have done that like yesterday yep. or something. So I just wonder if I wasn't actually even getting oil today. It's possible. Hopefully it was. I still think, um, I don't think either having oil or even coolant would, completely solve it it'd give you a shinier finish but i don't think it'll change any like gouging yeah just basically less less force in the cut is is my recommendation yeah i think i'm just rushing and if i'm rushing i should be increasing the feed instead of the step over is the gouging like repeatable no because i've like been doing random different experiences instead of just running multiple of the same gotcha so We'll have to, I don't know. I'm just trying to find like where, what I want to do for a starting recipe. And so that's why I was trying like different end mills. What a toolpath are you using? It's just like a contour that I just, um, added a bunch of roughing step overs, you know? So, so I like take like the shape of the spine and then just be like, you know, do 15 passes in 50 thou increments. This is a 2D contour? Yeah. There's no surfacing, no 3D stuff. And the the blade is flat, essentially, so you can think of it as a just a flat surface, essentially, even though you yeah. have it, like a sideways fixture. Yeah, it's kind of like floor finishing, basically. Yeah, so the blade, it's like a five-degree angle, and then it's tipped um, to... Uh, to five degrees. Now I'm realizing I also still wanted to try tipping it the other way and cutting with the side of an end mill. And I completely forgot that. And now I'm like, ah, oh, was it, should that have been the fixture I made? I don't no, think I, so personally. I still, I still like this way and I'll, I'm able to fit more uh-huh. this way. I mean, I would certainly try a, a 3d tool path for sure. Like parallel. Oh, you would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because do you know? Have you looked at? I don't. The gouging is probably coming from something like a chip getting under the cutter with air, and that's why it's random. But if it's a predictable gouge, it might be a 
a toolpath like surface type thing with the way the points are spread out. So I just wonder like the line you originally used to draw the toolpath, how I don't know, like basically like G1 or G0 is it? And then how does the toolpath like point spread look out, like look on it? So it could be something silly like that, but since it's just a flat surface, it's probably from a chip getting drug around if they're random. But if it's predictable, like you can repeat it, it's probably a toolpath setting thing. Yeah, I think I think it's it's potentially both or well yeah, I think that there could be some chips dragging stuff with some of the things I've tried and then I think there could be just me being too aggressive and and the uh the the actual part is flexing. Yep. Another thought I have, I've only seen them for aluminum but I'm sure they exist for steels you can get a down cut end mill. Oh, that'd be interesting. Yep, that'll push all the force downwards and it'll be a lot more rigid. You won't have any potential part pull-up to cause any gouging. If that, you're lucky, that, you can find it with a wiper as well. That uh, that reminds me. I, I had my first little oopsie with the with the Haas the other day. Oh? And, uh... Uh... So, I have these countersinks in half the blades. And uh, I check it by using a countersunk screw or, a, you know, flathead screw. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I'll go back and forth just reposting it until I feel like the depth is what I want it to be. And uh, one time I forgot to take out the screw. So <laughs> the countersink tool just uh, came down and glowed red. And I was like, that was weird. And then I was like, where'd the screw go? that I check things with, you know, maybe I just took too small of cut and it, it, uh, you know, just heated up for some reason. And so then I take it, the knife out, the blade out, and I see that there's threads sticking (laughs) out of the bottom of it. And I'm like, Oh, I just welded threads to this part. (laughs) And, uh, uh, yeah. And so, uh, the tool actually, didn't look bad at all, let alone the Haas. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, that's my first mistake, I guess. Or I don't know if you even want to call it a crash. Nah, that's totally well within the operating uh-huh. range of it. Yep. It's just like a big drill, basically. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. what that tool load was. Right. Well, well, the, the countersink I was using doesn't have uh, center cutting. Mm-hmm. So uh, it it did have to do some melting, I think. Ah, it's fine. Yeah. And then the other thing I did, the other little oopsie I made uh, a couple days later is I have these shoulder screws that have like a precision shoulder diameter. And I really like them, except that they have just an eighth inch Allen key in the top. Yep. And so I cut hexes into them. And... Uh, the first way I did it was by um, putting them in a collet. Like a, I just put like a, a Tormach holder uh, to a holder in a, a 5C collet block so that I don't have mm-hmm. to take the collet block out to fit whatever. That didn't work because the collet doesn't have an accurate enough height. So I was getting like different heights of hex 
because uh, I wanted a little bit of the round part still on the bottom. Uh, so then I made soft jaws, and um, I was running four screws at a time, but sometimes I wasn't clamping hard enough or something, so a couple times the end mill just spins the screw and try and like tries to pull it out. Mm -hmm. uh, but I just tighten the vice more. It's fine. Yep. So no big disasters yet. Yeah, it's all normal stuff. But uh, had my first oopsies. Yeah, it's okay. You'll have more. Yeah. <laughs> Please. Yes. No. <laughs> I don't know. You guys uh, do anything interesting this week? What'd you do, John? Um, not, not really. Just same old stuff. Research. Okay. I don't know. Yep. Old path stuff. Cutting blades yep. right now as usual. <laughs> Sold a couple knives, so that's good. Nice. I saw that teal one up. Yeah. Yeah. That I one's have, old. I have so many front handles. Like just from front just, handles. Because they're so reliable, like okay. we made, and usually what I do is make them in pairs. Yep. And so what ends up happening is I mess something up on a rear handle or like change something. It's just mm -hmm. like, you know, small changes over time. So I have a bunch of front handles and I'm like, I need to do something with these. Yep. <laughs> so I'm making and a bunch of rear handles for okay. them. The front one is the one without a lock bar? Yeah. Yep. That's okay. the, like on that one, that was the teal. Yeah. I, yep. So that's why that one's the most reliable. Yep. Yeah, I mean, they're like, I feel like between starting and now, very little changes happen to them, except like some depth changes and then just uh -huh. like design type changes. But mechanically, they're pretty simple. You know, it's a yep. piece of titanium with some pockets in it. Uh-huh. Yep. So, Do you do anything special to avoid warping on those thin scales? So, I... <laughs> so, I recorded video footage. I haven't put a video together yet, but of okay. basically... The material I get comes uh, bowed pretty often. Yep. Yep. And so like bending it and trying to get them flat enough to be machined. But if if they start bent, they'll be bent by the end of all the ops. And right. if they start flat, they won't warp, essentially. So it's really, okay. yeah, it's really how that, that starting stock starts is yep. kind of determines how straight yeah, they how are. Much how much are you taking off each face on each side? Is it a fair bit or? No, extremely little. Like extremely little. Okay, that's why it's four, not working a lot then. Five thou maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's why. Yep. Yeah. I'm a. I have to pick up a uh, a vacuum plate here pretty soon for the for the Pearson pallets. Mm -hmm. I have some G10 work coming up. Oh, and some other like various plate work. Yeah. Um, and I've I've had the idea of um of like putting a steel base that it mounts to and then putting it on my grinder and then using mm -hmm. that to surface grind titanium flat. You you can, it's just, and it's something I've held off doing is just the abrasive from titanium is really not good for people. Uh -huh. So then you have to figure out like filtering and stuff. Okay, but, what if it's just in a flood coolant? It'll be in I'm, the coolant at that point, but that's easy enough to filter. Yeah, I mean, I guess you would just have to try it and see, but titanium is right. pretty nasty stuff. Like ground, it's significantly worse than like stainless as far as okay. health effects go. But you, know, you could probably stick a vacuum near it or something. But yeah, you right. Just have to try it. Yep. I also have no idea how 
our current wheel on the uh, on the brown and sharp would handle titanium. I thought like it was burn it immediately. Is it an aluminum oxide wheel? <laughs> I have absolutely zero idea what the wheel is. I don't even know how old this wheel is. It could be as old as a machine, for all I know. There's no there's no markers or, or or model numbers or anything on it. There's no information on this wheel. Gotcha. So and I haven't taken it off because I need it running. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what wheel composition doesn't like titanium, but there definitely is one. And I want to okay. say it's the aluminum oxide because there's there's aluminum in titanium, and I guess they don't um, like each other. Yep. But I don't know. Like it's just something oh. I like read offhand years ago yep. type thing when I was trying to figure out if yep. you could surface grind it. I'm not sure if I'll try it or not, but it's I have a couple jobs coming up that it would be extremely beneficial <laughs> to be able to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely like, like sure as far as the knives go, it's been a huge thing with them needing to be flat, whereas uh-huh. flat ones will feel and the action will be a lot better on them noticeably. Yes. The flatter it is. I mean, that sounds pretty obvious in like retrospect, right. but the problem is it comes to me bent. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just machine it and hope it's flat. Right. And uh, yeah, but like I'm using a, not a light box, but like a pseudo light box essentially. And plus 3d printed press Arbor, like Arbor plates essentially. Oh, and yeah. bending them like that and checking it with light as opposed to like running an indicator on it because yeah. it's confusing to me because I have no background experience actually making unflat things flat. So right. to, go, to go like, oh, it's showing light here. I need to bend it in the biggest part of the bend. Like it's, it's uh-huh. a lot easier for my my simple brain to handle. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, but it's, it seems like a pretty good reliable way to get them sort of flat, but it's okay. nowhere near like you know, very flat, if you will. Right. Like, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, flat. on my on that on that one folder proto I worked on a while back, um, it was, I just ran aluminum scales, but the material I bought was like almost twice as thick as it needed to be. Mm-hmm. So a lot came off of each face, which yeah. inherently just it it warped it from all the stress in there that was now that's no longer there from all the material being gone. Right. And I tried just you know tweaking it in on the arbor press. Which helped a little bit, but the the core features warped as well because I did the I, I did the inside first. Mm, yeah, yeah. So I was I've been having keeping thinking about it in the back of my mind because I know I'm going to get to a titanium one at some point, and keeping it right. flat would be you know pretty nice. Yeah, I mean titanium seems to be pretty stable though, as far as like sometimes the clips will have like they'll get a bend in them after they're machined, but I don't know if that's like how they're fixtured. Or if that's literally stress in the bar. Right. I don't imagine the bar has more internal stress than the flat plates, but I have no idea. Because I, I guess it matters how it's actually made. But yep. Yeah. So, I mean, like, all of my, you know, obviously all of my handles are long and skinny. Mm-hmm. Um, on our one-piece handles, the channel handles, it's it's never an issue because it's, you know, it's pretty square at that point. Yeah. We never, we never notice any any noticeable warp that causes any issues on those. But the, uh, the sandwich handles where they're you know, half as thick, but still as long. We've, uh, we, we've been fighting some warp on those since day one. Mm, Even anneal, yeah. we anneal it now as well at like 1100 degrees for, it's like, it ramps up for about an hour and then sits there for an hour and ramps down for like the majority of the day. Huh. And it, it's helped a lot, um, but there is still just a little bit of warp. Yeah. 
probably like a few thou along the whole thing. Hmm. So yeah. Part, yeah. Long parts and warping and internal stress and annealing and all that has been on my mind a lot recently. Yeah, it's amazing how much stuff moves, and it only right. gets worse the longer and thinner it gets. <laughs> uh-huh. I tried reaching out to another double disc place to see if they could double disc uh, titanium at mm-hmm. an eighth inch thick, and uh, <laughs> they said nope, not at all. Hmm. They said it'll burn and it's not it's not doable, which I find odd because doesn't Grimsmo have his scales double disc before he uh, before they lap them? Oh, uh, I think crazy. he was. I think now he's surface grinding them. Since he got a service grinder and Angelo or whoever can uh his his titanium scales? I feel like he might. I feel like he might. Um but at least at one point I think he did I thought he did maybe surface grind. I think him. I mean I uh, think somebody still I think somebody still double discs them outside. And then they'll where, lap them or I'd something. love to know where because I tried one place and they're like, nah, you ain't gonna find anyone that can do that. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I know someone who has that done, but <laughs> Could be wrong. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea like what you can and cannot double disc. So, right. Yeah. They said it's just too thin for the size. It's like six inches long and inch and a half wide. Just, mm. you know, eighth inch titanium. Tolerance wasn't even like that critical. I just wanted to be, you know, double disc. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. They just said it would burn. It's like, hmm. Okay. Maybe they get, maybe they get them lapped somewhere else or something. I'm not sure. Right. Or but- like, Blanche if you're gonna, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you're gonna like the the only feasible way to grind titanium, and at least to me, without you know weird vacuum setups on a surface grinder, is to double disc it because you don't need any magnetic hold force on a double disc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. They said it burned, so I gave up on that on, on that avenue. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Kind of weird. Yeah. In order to in order to lap like both sides parallel, both sides have to be parallel already, don't they? If you're um, you can't lap two sides into parallel without some weirdness, right? I think that's correct. Parallel. Yeah, because it's just a weight on top, like it. So it's not really using it as reference. Whereas, like a surface grinder can make things parallel. Because it's using the opposite. It's not using the wheel as reference. You know, it's using right. the table as reference. But, but like, the lapping table is just whatever's, you know, however flat the lap, it, you know, the table is. Uh-huh. I can't talk today. Yeah. <laughs> I can't talk ever. It's okay. Uh, you know, it's like uh, in woodworking, you need both a jointer and a planer. And what a, a joiner does, a jointer, it has a blade and a table that are on the same side, and you push wood through, and it'll make one side flat. Yep. Because it's just referencing itself. But then the planer, the blade is on the opposite side as the table, and so it makes something parallel. And so, you know, sometimes you'll see, like, some new woodworker, and they'll get just a joiner, and uh, they just keep... <laughs> going back and forth on each side, trying to make them parallel, uh-huh. but they end up just making a, a wedge. Yep. Cause it, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the machine doesn't know what the other side looks like. Right. I mean, I guess if you only lapped one side of a titanium scale, at least you have one flat surface to locate on and you can just take minimal off the other side. It'd be better than nothing. 
I mean, isn't the point of lapping to make something parallel? So it's to make one surface flat. I thought won't stock just inherently be not parallel. So I thought that was the point of lapping. No, I don't think lapping does anything about parallel. I think it's just people either lap for surface finish or for uh, flatness accuracy. Yep, flatness on just the face that's being lapped. Hmm. Yep. So like if you want a blade that's lapped on both sides but still, you know, extremely parallel, you'd have to surface grind or double disc prior. That's my understanding. I could be totally wrong, but because it's just weights on top. I don't know. I don't know either. This is outside is, my, my Yeah, right. Realm. It's outside I know, my yeah. I know how to lap. I put sandpaper on a on a surface plate. <laughs> <That's laughs> yep. all I know yep. about lapping. Yep. Like you I mean, could you could lap like the bottom of like a pyramid or half a sphere, you know, it doesn't matter what the opposite face looks like. It just yep. just needs to be weighted against the uh, the surface. Yep. I watched that series on YouTube. Was it Robert Renzetti who did the the series on YouTube of using three plates to make, you know, three laps? I was that Tom Lipton. Oh, it was Tom Lipton. Thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think yeah. I watched at least some of that. Yeah, I watched that all the way through. Um, so I have some, you know, no, that's, that's minimal so cool. understanding. But yeah, it seems like to me. Getting more and more accurate is like about putting less and less stress in the material. And so like cutting stuff with the end mill kind of is a lot of stress and motion and go- stuff going on. But then like surface grinding is even less aggressive or, you know, less uh, energetic or stressful of, of interaction. And then lapping's even less because it's like either, you know, just tiny few pieces of grit embedded in copper or whatever, or, be, you know, a few pieces of grit kind of rolling around. And so, you know, it's just putting less, it's imparting less stress into the material as you're cutting into it. Mm-hmm. On a lapping machine. What would you use it for? Our blades. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just to make them shiny, or do you feel like... You no, flat, make, make them flat, primarily. Because, I mean, our blades are really long and thin, as you're aware. Yours are, too. Yeah. Um, even after surface, you know, trying to keep our plates flat for, for quench, surface grinding, rough surface grinding, before heat treat, flat quench plates, and then surface grind post-heat treat, we'll still have a few thou of, of bow in it. Yeah. So we oftentimes will have to tweak it in on an arbor press right before assembly just to keep it fully flat. How do they make ceramic blades? We should just get somebody to make those for us so we don't have to worry about these things. I'm into bevel grinder, I guess. Wonder if ceramic warps. No, it should it shouldn't warp at all. It should be some of the most stable material, I think. Just shatters just, instead. Yeah, it'll just shatter instead. They do have these machines that are like they're four plate and they're like giant belt sanders essentially that with weight on them. So you put the plate on one end on like a rubber belt. Okay. And it walks through the machine and it gets like the belts essentially grind away material oh, it's, off it's it kind of like, like a big, big plate. It's like a wood plating machine, but for, for, for metal heat. Yeah. Interesting. So that, that is a thing, but I feel like that's a very sheet metal type thing. And for big yeah. things, but I don't know if they make something kind of small. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Well, well when I uh, look at 
more fancy high-end production stuff like scissors or golf clubs or something, you know, they're drop forging things. And so I wonder if, if having the grain all organized, you know, cause it's drop forged into a rough shape of what you're making. I wonder how much that helps it from not warping in the next steps. And then you have to remove less material too. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure it helps quite a bit. Yeah. Wouldn't annealing achieve the same result though between drop forge and, I don't know, cold rolled. I, I guess, but rolled. like even like the other directions, you know, your, uh, your, your blade is going to have, you know, curves to it. You know, it's not like a perfect rectangle. And so having the grain follow those curves instead of just being, you know, cut out of whatever the shape of the metal started at, at a factory seems like probably has a benefit. I feel Plus, like, I mean, an, anneal, annealing, aren't you losing any sort of hardness, the material head, unless you're heat treating it after. Oh yeah. Yeah. We'd be like, you know, we, we'd anneal prior to heat treat. I mean, oh, gotcha. have, you're redoing it essentially. Yeah. I mean, granted for, for blades, I mean, all of our blades are coming out of a centered powder metal, which should be about as stress-free from, you know, from the, the mill that makes them. Yeah. Wait, do you anneal all your blades after machining, but before heat treat? No. What? Uh, oh, I thought that's what you were saying. No, I just had, no, I mean, I wasn't even actually thinking about blades in particular, but you brought up drop forging and then I thought about blade steels and then being centered powder metal. Yeah. I, I just meant like, you know, the grain being as close to the shape of, of what you're making as possible. Like, you know, maybe if anything, it like wants to be in that shape and it resists bending into other shapes. You know, it's, it's like annealing just gets rid of all the stress, but like maybe you, you want stress like to be helping you or something, but I don't I'm know. not anywhere near knowledgeable enough in metallurgy to <laughs> No, I am. I'm making stuff up. Yeah. I'd make a wedge doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. You uh had any projects you want to share with us machine wise? I mean, Anyone? let's see. I know I brought it up last week, but we didn't do a podcast last week. Did I bring up that I bought a lathe on podcast? I don't think so. <laughs> I didn't okay, know you even bought it. I thought you were like securing financing still or something. Oh, okay, yeah. So we purchased a, a Dusan Links or is it it's DN Solutions now. They've they've rebranded again. Uh, it's a Lynx 2100 LSYB. So it's subspindle, live tooling, bar fed. Z2 is the B axis, which is really weird. So like the subspindle in Z, well, it should be the well, subspindle in, in X, I guess, technically. Well, the, That's the I B thought axis, the spindle, the, the spindle's always Z, right? Yeah, it would be actually, yep. So it makes sense that it would be Z2. Well, yeah, on, it should be Z2, on, but it's B. Uh, yeah, mine's B, actually, oh. on mine. Yours is B2? Interesting. Yeah, so, like, oh, oh. if you move the subspindle towards the spindle, like, that's B positive, I think. Okay. Or on B negative. I'm pretty sure on Citizen uh, machines, you have a Z1 and a Z2. Hmm. Oh, okay. But it also has the main spindle on the wrong side, so everything is just inherently wrong there. Yeah. <laughs> that's weird, because, like, I thought B is just a rotational axis. You're you're saying, John, that it's like a direction? Yeah, it's just forward and backwards. So yeah. on, on my lay, it's like if you go 
you know, B negative 10, that's just moving the subspindle negative 10 in whatever direction that is. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Well, there's, so there's X, Y, Z, and then there's A, B, C, and so A rotates around, was it X technically? Mm -hmm. B would rotate around Y, and uh, C would rotate around Z, if you're on like a five-axis mill, per se. Yeah. And then there's also U, V, and X, I think, which is another subset that I don't know what they do right now. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you'd think that B would rotate around Y, but in this case, it's a it's just a linear, it's a linear axis for the subspindle. But yeah, we bought a lathe, which is awesome. We got financing. I I gave the down payment on on Friday, so now I'm just waiting for delivery and an electrician. So, nice. do you want to share what you might make with it yet? Yeah. So I mean. The main reason we we purchased it was for hardware, but like first and foremost, you know, for yeah. our for our valleys. Um, we hit a point where the cost of you know buying hardware from other sources would equate to the same as a payment plus material for a lathe. So it made sense to do it on that front alone. Yep. Um, but we're also working on a pen, which is I'm I'm personally really excited for, and I have a design already ironed out and we also have our engineer who's working on his own design and we're gonna compare the two let's but see yeah. whose is the least difficult to machine i mean my clip is um bordering on non-machinable so that'll be fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll find a way to do it if if my design is the one we choose um yeah super excited for that we'll have you know in-house hardware we can make our hardware way better um, we can, you know, control all of our tolerances finally. And yeah, I'm super excited for it. No, I nice. you might have to be making some hardware for me. I mean, yeah, I'll make hardware for you, make hardware for Grant. I can make hardware for John, but John has a lathe. What, what's your, uh, your tooling plan? Are you going to like regular yeah. lathe tooling? Or are you going to get like, uh, who makes it like Capto or whatever for the quick? So stuff? I don't think I'll go Capto initially. Uh, it, I, so I've been out of the lathe game for a while. And when I was in the lathe game, I was running Swiss lathes, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. just as standard, like I think half inch stick holding capabilities mm -hmm. yeah. or something like that. Um, so I'm super rusty ordering on unknowledgeable on all the various like lathe tool holder sizes and, and like nomenclatures. I'm also really rusty on lathe insert nomenclatures. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's going to be a big learning experience again on that. Um, it'll come with three live tooling blocks right now. And I th think it comes with a, a slew of various like, you know, stick holding and like boring bar holding capabilities. Mm -hmm. I just don't know what size the tooling blocks are and all that. Yeah. Capto I, I is so them cool. Like, I would love to go Capto and I might eventually. But, but remember like you were kind of wanting to go power grip for the brother I mean, and I'm like, sure then you saw the price. Yeah, I bet Capto would give you even more of a heart attack. Uh -huh. I kind of feel like it's probably super expensive. Right. I mean, so like on the power grip side, I probably would have done it if it weren't for the fact that Maritool hydraulics are fantastic and they're so cheap. Yeah. No, I'm, just I'm, hard to... I'm super happy with with uh, my setup. Yeah. I, I've I've gotten. So the only thing I've like changed, so I, like I started by getting a couple SKs, a couple hydraulics, and a couple uh, ER20s, and um, I 
feel like I don't know what to do with the SKs now because the hydraulics have been totally great. Uh-huh. The, the SKs are too long to uh, use the air nozzle. If I pointed at the hydraulics, then I switched to SK. It's too long. Yeah. Uh, and then the ERs were the shortest ones possible, so they're too short. So I've since bought a couple uh, of the like next length of the ER20, and they're like perfect. And so I think that's like the recipe I want to do forever is just that one ER20 length, and then everything else, uh, or every you know all the important end mills hydraulic, and then everything else is just ER20. Yeah, that's what I do. I run I think two and a half inch um, projection length ER20s. And then yeah, I think so. I think uh, that's yeah. what mine are. Yeah, and, and John, John said maybe I could do ER16, and I I occasionally still think about it because I was doing a lot of ER16 and 20 on the Tormach, mm-hmm. um, and like it it would be an even smaller nose, but I don't know. I just worry like if at that point it like you're losing holding grip, and then I wouldn't be able to use a tap in it or something. Definitely not. I use. Yeah, I, wouldn't be concerned about I, that. I I have used a. What's the biggest size you can use in an ER11? Like a three sixteenths, I think. I think so. I've I've used that with great success. <laughs> For like, like uh like what's what's the biggest torque thing you think you've done with that? I don't know. I've roughed with it in in the blades. Yep. An ER11 with just like an end mill. Yeah, yeah, there's there's uh, plenty plenty of holding force if you're not doing conventional type milling where you're plowing yeah. the thing. Like, I mean, doing like light radial stepovers even with like a full depth of cut is not going to be a lot of tool load what's or the, spindle load. What's the max size for sixteen three eighths? Uh, I think so, or a quarter. It might so be for three. ER twenty. No, it's it's half inch, isn't it? For ER twenty. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, I think th- I think it's around three eighths for sixteen and around a half for twenty. I don't know if it's true, but I feel like I remember hearing that if you size the collet closer to you'd like the actual the shank, you get better runout. But I don't remember if that's up or down. Like small tool, smaller collet would be better for runout. So well, I just mean, I guess, I guess the only other reason I might stick with ER 20 is like, I guess I could hold more diameters or something. Um, I, yeah, I don't think it really matters. I'm just yeah, thinking I, about like, if I could go back, would I have gone ahead and done 16? I don't think I'd go in smaller than 16, but I might've had even more clear shot with the air blast gun going 16 but it's it's a pretty small difference yeah do you have the adjustable air air thing so like the program i have the mql like nozzle that like shoots out when you activate it Mm. and like you can't change the angle while it's running uh so basically that's why i've had to switch er20 collets to longer ones is 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 i basically now with the hydraulics and those er's I just shoot for everything being like 3.5 inch gauge length. Mm, gotcha. Okay. And, and for, the... for if I'm using air, like I don't know how much I'll bother with air with aluminum. So it's really not that many tools I have to worry about it. So I can still use those SK ones for if I'm, you know, just need some random aluminum tool. Um, but uh, for steel, I, I'm going to try to get everything to be the same gauge length about. 
Okay. Is yeah, it's a pretty your, good plan. Your coolant is programmable, right? Just not your air, not your air gun. Yeah. Oh, okay. What if you uh, unbolted the air gun and attached it to the to the programmable? Yeah, so, so like the the first episode, I was talking about getting the Haas. Someone actually messaged me, and they're like, "Oh, your MQL gun, uh, can't like be adjusted like the the smart cool thing." And I was like, "No, it's just like, you know." Here's a video of it. And it's like, oh, that must be like an older uh, or uh, a newer one or something. And I'm like, nope, look here. The video is like from Haas and it's like seven years old. And so like oh. this guy, I don't know, like if it's a secret option or what, because it was like a VF6 or something. And so maybe it's just like it has to be a bigger machine. But I guess Haas does make an MQL system that can be like electronically moved. Um, but But I don't know what machines it's available on or, or if it's still available or what the deal is so your external air blast nozzle is not programmable like it will not change height is, no is all you can do is like manually move it in and out and that change the angle but then it always is the same hmm i thought you could get a programmable air blast and then you would just use that and stick the mql nozzle on there um, so the MQL nozzle I have is like pretty big. Um, the one this guy sent me, I think is, uh, is, is more of a convenient size, but the issue is, is the adjustable one that he has is definitely farther away from the tool where mm -hmm. this like shoots out and gets like right, right next to the tool. And so since the air spreads out so much more than coolant, I feel like maybe most people don't like like that it seems ineffective because it's you know a foot away from your tool it's like not even really getting that much air mm -hmm. okay and 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 i don't think you could put this big thing on a, a movable thing and have it work out that well but i don't know mate i don't know that's that's just the that's the the short conversation we had. I think that was the conclusion we came to. Is like, well, okay, it's nice to be able to adjust it like for every tool, but maybe you're always kind of going to have to be farther away for that to work. Yep. Hear me out. What if you just plumbed the the MQL nozzle into your into your through spindle air line? Well, I already have through tool air as well. Yeah. So if you just oh, but it does. What you're saying gets the oil to it. Yeah, just plumb the nozzle into it. Um, I don't know. That's what I intend to do on the brother at some point is just get a little MQL nozzle and plumb it into the through spindle airline and just drip oil I, into that line, basically. I mean, it already has coolant, like through to a coolant. So it it seems like they should make it so that like there was a way to drip feed coolant through it, through the through to layer. Um. Well, but I, I, for for hard milling, just because even if it's in a mist, it'll it's still water based. Yeah, I guess so. I thought about uh, that too. Funny enough. Yeah, I, uh, I I I'm I haven't done any hard milling yet, um, so we'll see if I want to yeah. change anything. Um, but I'm still trying to decide if I want to go to full-on coolant when I'm not filming even on steel. Um, but the Haas video, they talk about MQL. It is 
crazy how much less coolant you can use if you use MQL. Like you go from using like gallons a day of coolant in their scenario. I mean, of course they're going to paint it as good as possible, but yeah. down to like half an ounce or something. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's are, like such a big difference. There are full blown automotive shops that, that just run MQL for quite a few reasons. I mean, and I can tell cause you know, the MQL, uh, you know, little containers tiny and it hasn't moved that much. Whereas, uh-huh. you know, I've already had for the small amount of time and small, relatively not hardcore use of the machine. You know, I've had the coolant like evaporate half of its coolant approximately already and have to refill it. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, we'll yeah. see. Are you intending to do any hard milling on these blades or is your goal to have them fully soft milled for like the final product? No, it's, it's the, it's the critical dimensions that have to be hard milled. So the, uh, the, the pivot holes and the like neck and, uh, or, or what do you call them? Like Zen pin cups, uh, yeah. So like those, those have to be milled. And then I basically do the whole outside contour with that anyway, just so it looks nicer. Okay. Um, but it's just the bevel is like so much area. Um, I yeah. just I just would rather not do that. Even if you can get better surface finishes, it's like I'll try to figure out tumbling better or something. Yeah. Um, I'm when not you, sure if it's worth it. When you go to plate, bleh, when you go to plate quench these, since there's no flat on the bevel anywhere that's parallel with the tang, how are you? Do you just plate quench normally? So I don't think I've, I've only done it a few times and I don't think I had issues for a lot of these, uh, that I've done, I've just had someone else heat treat it and they just use a big oven. That's like, uh, a vacuum. And then they just like flood nitrogen in to quench it or something. The, the secret magic sauce. And so, uh, um, yeah, I think my plan right now is just, have someone else heat treat it and then I just bend it back and it's fine because I'm going to only like 52 Rockwell. Yeah. Um, I would like to be able to, I'm going to make enough plates that I can do some heat treating my experience, uh, experiments myself. But the last time I tried to heat treat them to a lower hardness, I failed. They were too hard. Um, and so I need to figure out, the right recipe to heat treat less hard. Okay. I've got a, I've got a great recipe for Magna cut to get it to like 40 Rockwell. <laughs> and that's maybe too soft. And it's I too soft. I know yeah. not doing a Magna cut. Yeah. I, I thought I could just like temper it longer and it would get softer, but I don't think that worked for some reason. There's definitely a limit. Yeah. There's, there was a whole list and there's basically like two different options I could do. And so I think I just need to try the other option yep. um, for like the heating and, and tempering. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The, the soap temperature makes a surprising difference with a, with minimal change for how the hardness comes out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think uh, for my scissors 60 rockwell makes sense which is what i was originally hoping for is like above 60 but i you know scissors like that exist but they're like 
not common and you know just for like cutting hair and yeah i i think that between 50 and 55 is what i'm gonna shoot for for a while yeah i mean even i don't think you'd ever want to go for 60 or above on these blades because they're it's two blades and they're really thin like you know one drop it could it could bend them apart and then snap one of the blades yeah i'm not sure if it would actually um cause a lot of issues is is just definitely does make trying to get that bend right you know a much bigger problem and like i think the only solution if i was going that hard is basically every blade has to be paired with another blade and they have to be heat treated assembled with like shims in between them and then like wired together right like that's how you do it and i should try that eventually once because it's been too long um and, but then i might have to like quench it in oil or something too i'm not sure yeah um but yeah it, it would to to get it that hard i think it'd be a whole process and it would it's still it would still take tweaking and the tweaking would still be harder if it's harder and so i think being able to hopefully heat treat multiple blades and have them work with other blades and then just have a special vice fixture to add the right bend to them um I think is the way to go for now. Yeah, I, I think so too. So what you've, uh, you've made already a bunch of handles on the Haas, right? Yeah. So like all that's left is to finish out these blades and see how they go together. Yep. I've, I've it's made fading. some buttons and spacers too, oh, nice. uh, but I haven't anodized them yet, but it doesn't really matter if they're anodized for testing things. Yeah. Um, the handles kind of matter if they're anodized, but the other parts don't as right. much. Yeah, I'm excited um, to to see how the first one goes together. And I did have them. I did have the handles anodized. Um, yep. And I and I made them in like half thou increments. So I'm probably going to be assembling and disassembling a bunch and seeing if I have if my tolerances have changed by being on the hoss. Right. Um, and I have to figure out if I'm going to do the same thing for blades. But what's lucky with blades is I get the final size after heat treat. So um, right now I don't even have to decide if I'm changing the dimensions of anything right you can always just start thick and then you know take off yeah and, it, and it's like grinder. it's such tiny amounts that like you know i'm I, it's basically like five thou on each side extra that i send to heat treat yep. um and so there's plenty you know for me to to work with mm -hmm. um and uh yeah, it still feels like a lot to you. Also, the special pins, I'm still using some that someone else made for me. I was going to um, ask, yeah. Eventually, I think I can make those even better on the Haas as well. Um, but I don't think it's particularly in, in, uh, urgent. Okay, yep. So, nice. yeah, I can't wait to see how the how it goes together from all the Haas parts. Me too. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. I'm, I'm still holding on to that. Should be noticeable, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I hope you're right. I think I still have to like pay attention to so many things. Yeah. And uh, and I'm just I'm trying to really make sure I'm mm -hmm. you know making these good parts. And uh, so far so good. It's just this bevel thing. Uh, you know, was close to perfect. And then I tried to fix it and made it worse. And I just need to, 
I just need to be patient, go back to what was working, but slow it down even more, probably. Yep. Gotta slow it down or or just decrease the step overs to start. Well, yeah, that's what I mean by slow okay, it down. Okay, yep. Yep. Yeah, I think yeah, that'll help a bunch. So speed it <laughs> well, up. Slower step or smaller step overs, faster feed. So it's probably same cycle time at least. What if you tried something like leaving one thou from a uh, depth of right. cut and then going very fast with a very light step over. Yeah, that's well, see, I was worried. I, I was worried that the gouging was happening during the roughing uh, cycle. I should just I should just like leave it in the fixture and try to see if I can feel how deep some of these gouges are. Because like that would probably tell me if it was done in the roughing cycle or not. Yep. If you can feel the gouge and it's not just a visual thing, like that's a pretty big like thing essentially. Because mm -hmm. there's a lot of visual gouges, which are you know, that could be chip dragging and stuff. But if you're feeling stuff with your fingernail after roughing and stuff, it's definitely I don't know, something that's way out of way out of spec basically. Uh-huh. You shouldn't be able like you can feel stuff after roughing if the tool starts to wear because it'll leave cusps like as it makes turns and stuff. That's pretty normal. But if you're feeling it with a fresh tool, then I don't know. Well, like I, said, I, I hate to do this since it's a, a podcast, but can you see the picture that's like uh, machine-wise said, hey, nice, and then like the picture on the right, you see me my fingers in the reflection on the blade? Is this on the... In the, oh, that is a blade. I thought that was a fixture. Let me open that. Uh, in ge uh, general, well, there's yeah. like there's two gouges on the left. Like the sh there's like the straight edge of the blade on the left oh, yeah, side. Yep. And there's like two little where you can see it's like more matte instead of shiny. And yeah, so that, that's what I was trying frosty. to fix. That's not stock left over. That's not raw material, is it? It's, no, it's funny very it looks weird. Like it, but... it almost looks like. There could have just been an air bubble in the metal or something. It looks really that's, weird. That's actually a thing. So it could be that as well. I've had pitting in my blades before. Not to that scale, but I have found like little micro pits on a fractal machine to bevel. That was just an imperfection in the material. Yep. I'll experiment. I'll it's experiment definitely more. Yeah. Did you have I other mean, ones like this too? No. The other ones I've my experiments uh, are way more obvious that it's like, oh, you know, it like flexed on this pass. And so it like cut a little deeper Okay, um, and it's like a hard corner. This is the only one where it, it looks like such a weird thing. And so maybe it is just like a bubble in the metal. Um, I'll, I'll, I don't know. I'll try, I'll try doing an experiment where I basically go back to the same feeds and speeds I used, uh -huh. um, maybe more step overs, um, and see if the same thing happens or not. Yeah. That, that surface finish is kind of suspect. You mean besides the gouges? No, the, the surface finish in the gouges that doesn't. Yeah. Look like it, it does surface. look, it, it does look, uh, it looks like a raw, strange. like a raw surface. It's really weird. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, like, like I think my fear is that, um, cause like it, that's the side that gets cut first, and uh -huh. that's the side that's getting the most material cut off of. 
And so my worry was, and that's also like kind of right near the center. So my worry is it was like really bouncing up and down, you know, bridging and, uh, you know, getting caught in weird ways and just so the corner because it's uh, too big a cut. If you want, like, you know, you could also run one of the probe geometry toolpaths and then just probe that area and see how far away it is from the actual model. Yeah. And that might give you an indicator of what it is. Because if it's like way, way off, then it might be, you know, a void in the material type thing. Right. Oh, here's another angle on it, too. Have you tried just rerunning the exact same toolpath and see if it cleans up? Because that would indicate that it was, like, a weird, like, it's flexing or, Uh I don't know, just something kind of strange in that area. If it gets, if it, you know, if it actually cleans up with the same Mm -hmm. toolpath. No, basically what happened is I ran that, and, and you can see it's, like, that was just the first block in the fixture. And so I just ran that to make sure that the concept even worked. And then I was like, okay, good enough. The concept works. And so then I made all the other blocks and all the other holes for the blocks in the fixture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then that was like, you know, 10 hours later and it's late at yep. night. And so I'm like, okay, I'm dying. And I went to bed and then uh, uh, that was like the day before yesterday. And yesterday I had to go on a small trip and do some family things. And uh, then the next day or today I uh, just, like was mostly doing other stuff, ran a couple plates because it's like, oh, I want to have more plates to talk about on the podcast. And they kind of ended up worse. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So tomorrow I'll do some more real tests and uh, keep it simple and see what happens. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, definitely, I mean, this will work for sure. Yeah. I have no doubts about that. If anything, one thing I could also try doing is is putting a little bend in the blades the wrong way so they want to be pushing into the fixture. Uh-huh. Um, it's probably not a great idea, but I don't think it would hurt things that bad. Yeah. I would, yeah. in the beginning, keep it super simple and just try to yep. nail down something that's pretty repeatable. Yeah. Yeah, everything that's involved seems pretty small. I... I mean, you know, I got these these bolts that are, you know, going into bores that are fairly tight, um, you know, so the positionally it, it, it can't really move, um, but it's weird how things work that somehow it can still flex, I guess. Yeah, stuff's weird like that. Mm-hmm. Because I can see it, like, on one that I just put in today, I could see, like, by pressing on it, like, you know, a little shadow getting bigger and smaller. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. With a time. a few days. <laughs> You'll have all the answers. You'll... You want to wrap up, or is there anything you guys didn't... Get to. I'm all set. Yeah, I think I got all my stuff, so. All right. So, Thanks for listening, everybody. Yep. yep. Thanks. Enjoy your fourth. Don't blow your hand off. Happy. Yep. Yeah. If you do, yeah. post it. Oh, we want to see. <laughs> John wants to see. Don't send it to me. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Good night. <laughs>